Trevor Blackman now. Real people, inspiring stories, living legends, award-winning talk show. Trevor Blackman now. My, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. So, welcome to the final hour of the show. It's our golden hour. It's a pack show, so we've come straight in. Uh, usually, you know, I play a song at the top of the hour, but we've got so much to pack in today. Uh, stay ahead, though, because after two here in Maritime Radio, you've got the wonderful Andy Holton with Hooray for Musicals. Right now, though, it's me, Trevor Blackman, with Maritime Radio's official talk show, Trevor Blackman now time now to well continue our new feature it's called weighing in where guests i interview or packages you hear explore issues deeply ingrained in our society Um, the panel was not brave enough to actually um, initiate that conversation. They, um, you know, it's been 30 years since uh, Stephen Lawrence, and um, I'm 28 years old. That it was way be- before my lifetime, and we've, we're here today, and I'm, um, you know, dealing with the same issues that Stephen and his family did, and I don't believe that they're ready to start talking about the actual facts that, you know, the officers should be held to account if they do something wrong. So, in a post-George Floyd era, we're confronted with a disconcerting encounter between law enforcement and an athlete that unveils a troubling truth. Richard DeSantis, representing Portugal, and Team GB athlete Bianca Williams and their child faced a distressing ordeal during a stop, not a routine stop, by Met officers. Handcuffs, searches and a 45-minute detainment prompted serious concerns about racial bias within policing. This incident unfolds at a critical juncture for the Met Police, currently under special measures for the first time in its history. In an era when trust building should be paramount, especially with the black community, how do we bridge the divide and ensure equitable treatment for all? To discuss this and weigh in, I brought back my guests from last week, Dr. Chesney, Wendy Roberts, and my former radio co-host, Alec Mechanical Peters. I started off talking about DeSantis, the Child Q incident, the shooting of father-to-be Chris Caber, 24, shot by the Met Police officer through the windscreen of a car in Streatham in South London last year. Those events and others continue to be at the forefront in how the black community feels it can't trust the police. Never has in many ways. So what steps should we, as the black community and the Metropolitan Police do in order to rebuild trust between us. Well, 
listen as they wade in. When we have heard about these incidents um, and their shocking incidents, the level of violence, intimidation, I think the breach of human rights, but I think the intimidation and the violation of um, young black people, black people in general, um, is something that needs to be picked up. And, you know, in discussions and in the press, you know, there's been conversations around um, better police training but starting off the very route around, um, you know, robust checks on uh, recruitment. Um, so looking at people who are going into the police, their backgrounds, you know, um, because I think a lot of officers um, during inquiries have been found to have, um, you know, uh, quite concerning past in terms of their own arrests. Um, not just, I think you're being, you're being very uh, kind with your words there, uh, Wendy, when you say quite concerning past. For some of them, if we look at what was happening with the BB sisters who tragically died, one of the officers on their social media clearly had a history of white ring uh, racist views, um, which were out there prior to him being inducted in the police force. So you're thinking to yourself, what kind of vetting was taking place there, if any at all? So you're being really generous, but I, I, sorry, I had to just cut across. Carry on, though. No, I agree with you, yeah. I mean, because I'm just, I've kind of got like maybe four or five victims going round in my head as I'm thinking about that, but you're absolutely right um, about that that. Um, male who had been, um, you know, involved in in a group um, where he was blatantly racist, right wing, and had come into the police force with that view. And I just think, you know, this whole uh, abuse of power issue, being in a uniform, and you know, um, the fact that that can be abused and I think the training really needs to hone in on that the abuse of power understanding racism um understanding how um it feels um to be a a minority um and the levels of oppression and the fear that people in the community have about the police. Alec over to you. I've had the chance to meet various people within the force um often in quite informal settings and just talking to people and I think one of the things that come across quite clear to me is many of the people that I've met are just your everyday lads and so these are people that on a day-to-day basis will just go on navigating life in a way that most people will do and what I'd realized quite quickly on having a conversation with many of these characters very nice people individually or at least we had a nice you know interaction there isn't a massive amount of scope of understanding of their perspective in the world. And I don't know if it's, although there's a lot of calls for the, for institutions to do the training, I don't know how effective that can be at this stage, because I feel like the sort of training that's required is more performative. Another thing that I've noticed with the police, police work is often very reactionary. So it's very difficult to expect to really embrace and understand the nuances um, in a very, very reactionary uh, situation if you're not doing that work outside of that time, as opposed to just doing things in context to just responding in the situation. I also had a chance to speak to somebody who was involved directly in um, 
the Stephen Lawrence kind of case, and he was very frontline in the next stage, like of in the in the, in the group of people who were then pulled in to replace the first group, which were deemed as corrupt. And what was interesting in the conversation with him, he felt that it really wasn't about institutional races racism, but more so more about corruption. Now, I guess when speaking to this person, maybe either he didn't see the link or he was unable to see how the link might be, how there may be a link and what that might look like. But more importantly, that was how he perceived the situation, having been around all the legalities, all the conversations that were happening. So it it gets me to really pose this question. What do people honestly perceive in a situation? Because we can be saying what we feel based on what we understand with our points and our certain key words to really identify what we see as a problem. But sometimes you could be talking to people who, apart from those who just don't want to lose their power or their position, just don't get it. So at what point can we have conversations where there's actual resonance at a very base level? I feel like those conversations still haven't been established yet. I think you're right. And I like what you said about some of the police and their scope of understanding. I wrote the word scope of understanding based on, I would say, and anyone can weigh in before we come to Dr. Shesley, based on how they've grown up. But where my pushback is, is to say, back in the days we had two or three, four channels and then, you know, Spy Skills came along and we had the fifth channel. Um, And nowadays you have social media. So when I hear within, and you know, something that Wendy picked up on the training and we, what you want to do is we want to talk about ID inclusion, inclusion and diversity and all this training that takes place. And I go, well, yes, but if you go on your phone and you look at TV, you know, diversity. And if I talk about the basics of any religion, you know, right and wrong, and you know what other is, and you know, when you're persecuting, you know, when you're being prejudiced, And it doesn't mean because you live in Surrey or if you live in Plymouth that you're excluded from this understanding of black and eight. No, you know, because every day, every day you see it on your TV. So when you talk about scope of understanding and then you talked about the Stephen Lawrence case and a police officer saying, well, actually, that was more about corruption than it was racism. So why were you? basically bugging the the home of the family of the murdered teenager. They they put in bugs to listen in on them. They tried to skew evidence in order to move it away from the police. That's the corruption bit. But it was racism because the same way that a 14-year-old white boy was murdered and the emphasis was on him in the media, it was lost for Stephen Lawrence. So you can't sure. say it wasn't racism, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. If I can just jump in on that and say, I think for for us, we're very clear on what it is or how we see it. But I feel like it's not so much about, because again, when I've had conversations with people, what can be very frustrating is what seems obvious to me doesn't seem to be obvious to someone else. And so now to me, what I start looking at is what is the risk as an individual to start to take on certain ways of thinking? Like, so for me, if I'm talking to you and trying to kind of persuade you to to buy into my to my um my way of thinking, the win for me is that now you get to see what I'm thinking about. So first of all, now you get to understand my world. Two, maybe now I feel like my knowledge is being reaffirmed by you now agreeing with me. 
for, for somebody else, the risk factor could be, well, actually, if I take on one, this way of thinking, I then have to shake up my whole world. So obviously, so what can happen now is you're defending something or your point of defense will be at a point which clearly seems like, why are you defending this? But actually what's behind in the implications that happen at that point is probably what they're trying to defend or what they're deep down are afraid of. So then for me, I feel like I'll always go back to this to really see the type of change that we say that we want. There is a level of organizational responsibility that has to happen. And I'm absolutely not saying no to that. But what I'm really, really interested in is the deeper rooted thing, because I still I still see it. I, I've been in organizations and people are saying the right things, but then there's something that they've come out with. And I'm like, you, you don't get it. I want you to call to say the right thing. I, you're right. I'm going to shut up because I, I want to bring in Wendy. This you've st- you've opened a can here. I want to bring in Wendy, <laughs> Dr. Chesley. You can weigh in on anything. We're coming to you later, but I don't want to lose this because there's connection between what Wendy started with on this need for training, whatever. But then actually the realities of where people are at and what they're willing to embrace and how they want to be seen and how they change the argument around. Whereas you become the problem as well. Wendy, come in. I'm ah, oh, Dr. Chesley, coming in a moment. Wendy first, go. Yeah, so I kind of just wanted to pick up on this notion that, you know, and I think, Trevor, you said that, you know, it's in social media, people understand it, and, you know, this kind of view. And I think that, you know, you could, I think for us in in the Black community, obviously, we are like, well, how come people don't get it? You know, um, there's been so many um, atrocious cases and um, examples Um But then I think, you know, when you go back to, as Alex is saying, sitting down with a person who is ill-informed, I believe, possibly ignorant even, (laughs) um, you know, you'll have conversations with people who still use the word coloured, you know, and think that it's okay to call black people the N-word because, well, you use it in rap or you use it in music, or you call it to each other, you know. So there's kind of, I think it's not as clear cut as people seeing examples um, or incidents in the uh, news, or even hearing the word institutionally racist and actually understanding what that actually means. So I do think at start of education, I do think training is really important. I mean, I've been on training courses where people have gone, oh, oh, I didn't see it like that. You know, and I, I do think it starts with challenging a person's mindset, you know, because they may not have been brought up in like, I'm not saying that this is the only factor, but, you know, say, for example, if you take somebody from a rural <laughs> Now I'm laughing at my own example, but say if you take somebody from a rural environment who's coming to a diversely cultural, a diverse and cultural um, city like London, you know, um, and perhaps they have not been around very many black people or diverse communities, you know, you then get all of those undertones that clash and the misunderstandings, the ignorance, the lack of education. I mean, don't get me started on that Kilroy. Do you remember Kilroy got kicked off BBC One because he thought that all cultures should be stuck together and segregated? I mean, so... I just don't think it's as simple as saying that people should know because they see it. Okay, I get your point on that. 
but I'll still I'll push slightly and say I don't think people like getting uncomfortable so people want to be comfortable with things okay I always say you have to get uncomfortable with being comfortable in order for us to learn together right so when I say about social media or tv I think it is there but but it's a choice isn't it it's a choice to whether you swipe whether you turn off or whether you take it in okay you don't take it in if it means nothing to you because this is not affecting your life but we want to get emotive you know news readers editors want us to get emotive and take concern with what's happening whether it's in Gaza or what's whether it's happening in Ukraine they want you know and then you look at well who's driving that new source because I'm not seeing that in the same response to what's happening Sudan or Ethiopia so it's a choice we are living in such a global world that those choices we're making now of just basic blatant racism you could there is no excuses anymore when you say the same money that I pay for my license fee, fee as a black person, someone else is paying as an Indian and an Asian, but yet everything is skewed over there still? Dr. Chesney. I agree with Alex and with Wendy. You know, I think the it's unanimous that um, what is needed is more training, more education um, to improve and to build the trust. And I think it's not a very, it's not as we've, we've, we've alluded to, it's not a simple strategy. It's going to take a, a lot of different angles of looking at training and education. Um, and also in terms of um, improving people's understanding and changing their mindset. Because at the moment, the perception is so wrong. As you you just pointed out right now with your statements, you know, that the racism is, it is rife and this is what is happening. And as a result of it, as a consequence of it, um, that and discrimination, that is why we're experiencing, um, you know, incidences like these where people are actually being targeted by police. So I think it needs to be more understanding, more education, more training, changing people's perceptions, I think is important in order to improve that relationship. But it's not an easy, easy way. It's really, I think it's difficult. And I think from both parties, both perceptions need to change as well. I'm coming back to Wednesday and, and Alex, I want to bring you into this because I talked about the emotive thing. Okay. And when do you notice because of the work that you do and so do you um Alec as well and I wanted to take us back into the noughties and I, just coming from Stephen Lawrence but I want to go to Ben Kenzilla who was the brother of the EastEnder um actress and I want you to just take a moment to see how media attention absolutely got behind that to such an extent that helped to, to raise funds for that particular individual and any person any young person's death is tragic okay that's how I see things but when you compare that to other young people I want to say particularly black young people that same focus and attention wasn't there okay and you'll say well because uh you know it, it was he was he was the brother of a semi b-list celebrity on it no that's that shouldn't be the point it was a young man who tragically lost his life the same uh, week as that happening for black youths tragically lost their lives, not just in London, in Birmingham and Wolverhampton, didn't get the same and have never got the same. So I say it's about choices because the same emotive feeling that I get when I see 
kids in hospital in Gaza or Ukraine is the same emotive feeling I get when I see kids in hospital. And I keep using these examples because it's really important in terms of Sudan or Ethiopia. The only difference, the pigmentation of their skin. And that is clear. That is clear to people like me and my uncles and my granny. It is clear. There is a choice being made. And that choice is rooted, I say, my opinion, in race. And that is, and, and to me, and this is why I'm going back to you, man, uh, uh, Wendy, no amount of trainer. I know you said, and some people sit in the room go, oh yeah, I get it. I didn't see it like that. But you you should, Any, I, I don't know, I'm getting frustrated. Shut up, Wendy, go, come back on me, push back. And then Alex, I'm coming to you. Unfortunately, I do believe that it is about re-educating the mindset. But, you know, the thing is, is that it's not about putting bums on seats. You know, it's not about the police, you know, the senior officers saying, right, you need to get onto this training and they go along, sit in the room and it's ticked off the box. I think there still needs to be a challenge around mindset. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, it is also about doing those robust background checks on on at the point of recruitment. Um, and if you do find that you've got a corrupt racist officer working in the police who by the way has been a previous rapist or you know had been signed up to um a right-wing racist group you know that they need to be more robust and quicker and timely in ousting them getting them out of the police you know i think there's this thing there has been this view around um officers being protected you know um and that that in itself, you know, has raised a lot of questions. But, you know, going back to your point about Ben Kinsella, I mean, honestly, their trust does amazing work and they have a lot of emphasis on training. Excellent training. I've attended lots of their training, especially around knife crime. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that there are certain um, depths that make the press in a much more impactful way. And, you know, you get the whole community, like, rising up, you know, and it, it, it's resulted in protest because there has to be change, you know. Um, and as you said about Ben Kinsella, you know, Stephen Lawrence, um, you've got um, the Cabba case, um, you know, more recently, Eliane, you know, so there's, there's certain cases that make it into the press. And of course, when it's out there and all the evidence is there in, in you know, in your face, it's hard for people not to react um, with pain and frustration and in some cases, anger. So here's the point. We started off by saying, how can we build trust within the police between between the police and the black community. When you weighed in talking about, we have to go back to the roots, it's all about education and you, we have to change that mindset. Alec, you weighed in as well and you said, but you've also got to see where people are coming from, lack of understanding. I don't want to put words in in, in your mouth, so do do come back on, on this, but you know, people need to be seen and heard and then a conversation can take place, okay? But for that systematic change, it is two sides, because there's a point, what does the black community need to do? Okay, what do we need to do? 
to walk together on that bridge to come to some impasse with the police to say, okay, now let's look how we can work together. What is it we need to do? Maybe I'm one of those people who are bringing in the negatives. Maybe I need to come in and say, okay, let's start afresh. I don't know if I can fully say let's start afresh, but maybe that's what we need to do. But we've got to look at what really, apart from the training I'm hearing and the vetting, I just want to stay a little bit long with the police and then I want to look at what we need to do as a black community. What else? Because it is about how they police, how they see a difference and how they do police in a different way. And the black community have seen that for years. This is how you deal with this case because the pigmentation of the skin or where the community is based. So geographic location is important as well because if I'm in an E16 postcode, as opposed to a SW1, you're policing in a different form and fashion. Maybe it's because there's more resources or is it because of who mainly lives in those areas as well? So policing has to be fair, has to be, I used the word act equitable earlier on. And if it isn't, then how can we ever, as members in the black community ever feel we're gonna get a fair slice of of the part i don't know i'm just saying that so alec please come in looking at people within the wider white british community um, i'll give you an example in fact before i say that an example there was a, a murder in the locality where i am and a local charity got involved and wanted to reach out to the parents and the and the and the, the victim's friends to see what they can do to support i was a little skeptical about what was going to happen but i said let's just watch this unfold when we got there, what we had was mostly there was like a, a memorial on the street. What it what 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 it turned out to be was the victims' friends, who were mostly black kids, they were there. Um, and in terms of the adults, it was only the victims' parents and a few family members and maybe some local friends of the of the victims' parents. Nobody else. Now that area that I live in is quite a multicultural area. I remember saying to one of the colleagues in that charity. Look around, look around who's actually attending this. This tells me that lots of parents are concerned for their kids getting killed, but in their mind, my, I perceived it as, this is your problem, this isn't my problem. I'm more concerned about keeping my kids home. So straight away, before we even get into institutions and what organisation you represent, at a community level, people see it as a, have a very divided opinion. Some people say, well, this, I'm not being bad, you're cool. If I see you on street, we can talk, but this is your problem. You know, and so there's a lot of these undertones that has to be addressed before we can even talk about it from an institutional, because otherwise it's just nine to five behavior that gets lost as soon as they leave the workplace. So I think as black people, there's almost an element of we have to be patient, be willing to explore in a different way. Because otherwise what will happen is we'll keep saying what we're saying until it's going to harm us. And then it's going to turn into a, a, a frustration in a new way, which just adds and reinforces the trauma that's kind of been going on for generations, I feel. I think you've, you've made a valid point. I know my uncle be saying, I, we, I have no more patience. We've been patient. And why is it always us who has to be patient? Why is it always us who has to make the change? Why do we always have to take the five steps back in order to move forward and they remain in situ in the board just going slowly small pace piecemeal stuff i think you've raised some important points about the psychology of person and community i love the point when you made where you said that it's their issue and i can see who was in the community 
without even saying it, saying it's their problem. We hear that, um, which is why I go, if I saw, if I cite the Ben Kinsella thing for them in the media, it was a, oh my God, it was a white person. It's supposed to be that black, knife crime is a black issue, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a their problem, not a we problem. Dr. Chesney, and I, we, we've got, I want to do the poem. We've got five minutes left. As always, we have to, we're going to come back. We were just picking up on things. And this is why these conversations are important. It's not a 40 minute thing. Yeah, it's not a 40 minute, 40 minute thing. But if you can just pick up on what Alec was talking about, the psychology and the change. And he used the word, the trauma that we're carrying, particularly for black people, because if we keep pushing, we're just going to do it to ourselves. We get angry. And that's when chaos starts. That's when anarchy ensues. That's when we go back to the end of the civil rights era and the clashes between uh, people say the left and the right, which was basically the Panthers. And then you had, you know, Malcolm X, the civil rights movement, because one wanted to just go look, fight the power. And one said, let's sit down and have a conversation. For us, because we live this, Wendy's, we live this. How can you, how can we... <laughs> How can you appease people like me? Because I get frustrated when Alex is saying we've got to be a bit more patient and I don't believe we should. I believe we should actually go take to the streets and go, no, this is our right. And Wendy's there in the middle saying, but if we do this training, do you know, there's a bit, I, I'm, I'm speaking for you, Wendy. I think there's a bit of a black power there as well, but you also want to sit there, <laughs> but you can, I want you to speak for yourself. But Ms. Dr. Chesney, seriously, the mental health, and Wendy picked up on this in our previous conversations of what people are carrying nowadays and how that, how that acts out on everyday life and, so, and and also in choices we make individually as well. Yes. We've seen too far many of our black brothers and sisters incarcerated. There's a lot going on in the community to say why that happens. Yes, I think it's really important. I think in terms, like I said, my personal opinion, and I agree with what Alex was saying, was that um, in terms of the problem, other people are viewing it that it's our problem. It's not their problem, so they don't need to do anything. And earlier I did say the perceptions on both sides needs to change. And I think you, Trevor, as well said, you know, as much as we're thinking about, you know, we're saying that uh, we're vetting training, education for the police, but what about us? How can we change our perceptions um, and how can we change this? I think we, I think that there's, there's actually there's no simple solution. And it is difficult because like you said, people are day in and day out, they're being incarcerated. And how do you deal with it? How do you deal with the trauma? How do you deal with it where people are saying it's your problem, it's not ours, you need to do something about it? Then, I mean, what can be done? You know, it feels like a very helpless, hopeless situation um, and never ending. And and I think what what it what needs to happen is like what you, what um, Alex was saying earlier on and what I was agreeing with is common ground. We, they, we both parties need to find a common ground. How can you build the trust? How can you improve the relationships? How can you improve the um, the understanding and perceptions on both sides? Because the one is seeing it as one, as one thing and the other party is seeing it as something different. Um, so how can you marry the two? And that's when where the training comes in and the education um, and increasing awareness. So I think that's why Wendy is saying, you know, that which which I, I, I totally agree that needs to happen. But it's a long process. I don't think it is a simple solution. So I think it is about having conversations like this with everyone in the room. That includes the police and community. When we talk about actually having, you know, church hall forums, it's about everyone being in the room, get it all out, 
And now let's look how we find a path forward. I think that's the most important thing. And I think that's what we need to do. And conversations like we've just had are absolutely important as well. But the conversation doesn't end here. As we pivot our focus to a crucial discussion on youth crime and delve deeper into the complex relationship between the Met Police and the black community. We weigh in on these pressing issues with a poem from Wendy next. Follow Trevor now on Instagram at official TBN show.